0: week of April, and for the first time in weeks and weeks, despite me wanting to feel this way, for the first time I actually do feel this way, that the playoffs are right there. Like, we're, we could touch them. Eight games to go. And the regular season pretty much wrapped up. How's it going? How was your weekend, buddy? You looked great.
1: The weekend was great. I sat inside and did nothing. and Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it was Sweet. great. So did everybody. Got out for some park walks. That was good. Uh, Yep. Treated myself to baked goods from bakeries because that's what I have. It was fine. It it was fine. Um, The Toronto sports teams were pretty good. I was worried about Ryu. Turns out to be fine. Mm Mm-hmm. I was not worried about the Maple Leafs going to that Jet series, I would say, but I wanted to see signs of life and they showed it to me and yep. I was flip flopping on the Raptors and now I'm back in the tank. I'm I'm back <laughs> for after three quarters of what I thought was season changing basketball, I I'm, I'm back in the tank after watching Julius Randle and RJ Barrett.
0: So I think in life it's a good trait to be able to um to change your opinion on things. To mm-hmm. absorb new information and even being loud of uh, about one opinion and then changing your opinion, that's a respectable trait. shouldn't be called a flip-flopper if that happens. Mm-hmm. Sports, I don't know.
1: I don't know about that.
0: I don't know. How, how, how fickle you've been with this Raptors tank on and off thing.
1: I just, I wanted the win. When I was watching the game, I was enjoying it and I was thinking about how... OGN and OB looks great, and he's looked better as the season has gone on. And that Siakam is looking more confident shooting the ball and attacking the basket, and he was making really smart plays. And then we got back to the depth thing somehow. When all of a sudden the Raptors, it seemed like they had depth, now they don't have depth. I, I don't know, man. It just, I'm going, I'm, I'm essentially, I'm flip-flopping every day on the tank versus getting oh, in the wow. playoffs. And But here's why. I'll just do this quickly before we talk Leafs. They're done unless they get lucky with a lottery ball for getting to the area that I want them to get to, right? Mm -hmm. So you could make the case that, hey, stay below the Bulls and the Kings and a couple of other teams and improve your lottery odds to get lucky. But then the other case that balances out is, are those percentages worth more than having a little bit of a meaningful stretch for OG the way he's playing, Pascal the way he's playing, Malachi, Flynn... And these two centers that you're getting a look at, I don't know I just I go back and forth on it where it's like what's the actual value I think it's just highly debatable and so I guess I'm I'm not really rooting as hard either way as I once was I'm just kind of in the middle, which is ugly it's an ugly yep. place to be no I kind of look at it going I'll tuck myself into either one whichever they end up in
0: uh yeah there's only one choice especially now the way the man the wizards are just they cannot be beaten that one eight in a row now. <laughs> yeah. They seem to be cementing their spot in at least the, the play-in tournament. It's a fun game. We'll, we'll talk about the Raptors a little bit later on in this hour, but yeah. the There's been a couple of, I don't know if you would call them crisis points. It seems like, especially in retrospect, to to call what the Leafs have gone through a couple of times this season as crisis points is...
1: No, silly. I don't think there's ever been a crisis point. No, there Straight hasn't. up.
0: There's, there's been moments where you're like, oh, well, that's not gone well, and there's been mm-hmm reasons for that it hasn't been extended runs of poor play honestly it's every time they go through a slump it's something you can put your finger on whether it's getting out goaltended or getting poor goaltending on your own end Mm -hmm. but they bounce back in an incredible way after the five game losing streak with these two games against the Winnipeg Jets and I I think Saturday was the piece de resistance
1: they look way better than the competition when they play 90% of Leafs hockey Yep. And right now, they don't have Zach Hyman. Some of the guys that they were counting on have not been great. And they're still, to me, miles apart from the Jets. All of a sudden, Rasmus Sandin steps in. And that's sort of the story of the weekend to me. Because the other stuff was already established, right? The other stuff was already very, very clear to me. Which is, hey, if the Leafs play their game, and they get not even amazing, just average goaltending, they should win the North Division. They are better than the other teams in the North. There used to be this thing that we were doing the first couple times they played the Jets where it was, who has the better forwards and who... Ha- the Leafs do. The Leafs have the better forwards. What what are we talking about? They have Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, and William Nylander. Those four guys are better. I like Mark Shifley. I love watching Mark Shifley play. Do you know what? how much he played? He was benched. He was benched yep. in that game. Sure was. A- and... Like, do we really think Blake Wheeler is better than any of those guys? Like, what are we doing here? Pierre-Luc Dubois is the forward. So is Shifley. that's in the conversation with those other guys, Ealers. But you'd rather have the Leafs' four guys, and you'd rather have the rest of the Leafs' team. Like, through and through, outside of their goaltender, and the Leafs have sort of humbled Connor Hellebuck. I, I don't know who isn't afraid of him going into a playoff series, but let's be real here. He's not Carey Price in his prime, okay? He's just not. And so the idea that the Leafs won't be able to score on him is just, okay, Wayne Simmons can score on him with muffin backhanders. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's going to be plausible for the Leafs to beat that team in the playoffs. What I liked was two things. One is that there seems to be real hatred and real juice between these teams.
0: Yes. Give it to me. Feed it to me. I need Joe Thornton yelling from the penalty box at Nick Ehlers. I need... Wayne Simmons getting a misconduct at the end of the mm-hmm. game because he can't shut up. Like, holy cow, have we missed that at times. It started off yeah. that way. I mean, remember yeah. the early days of Simmons? He's. I think he got in a fight in his first game, and then he gets hurt, of course, and he's just trying to get his game back, but holy I needed some intensity because I'm sure the players were feeling what we were feeling was this season is interminably long and the North Division is still great and wish we could have fans there but enough of the same teams let's get to the playoffs so thank goodness for something
1: well I felt that way with Calgary all of a sudden making a bit of a push against Montreal and thinking I can't believe I have to be a Habs fan down the stretch but I want the Habs in over the Flames. I just do. That Flames yeah. team, to me, has nothing about them that resonates. Let's just put it that way. I have not watched a single Flames game and thought, oh, this is what their team is about. I just, there's there's nothing. I don't want to see Leafs Flames. It doesn't Especially do nearly that, what Leafs Habs does for hockey, right? Yeah, I just, I want to see Leafs Habs in the first round. I know that that's welcoming potential disaster and that that comes with higher risk, but it also comes with much higher reward. And I think that... For this season to not play out with a Leafs-Habs playoff series, Leafs-Oilers, Leafs-Jets, that those are the four teams. Those are the four teams that you should care about. And I was pretty down on the idea of Jets-Leafs just from the standpoint of, well, I think the Leafs are better and the series could be good. But now after these set of games, I'm back in on Leafs-Jets. I sneaky – I don't hate the Jets, but – I I sneaky now like feel certain ways about their players that aren't just all completely positive. I loved the Joe Thornton moment. I loved watching Rasmus Sandin absolutely buckle Wheeler with a legal hit. I didn't want Wheeler to be hurt. I'm glad that he's okay because he was coming back from the concussion. But that hit kind of was – that hit Blake Wheeler. But I think that also hit Maple Leafs fans and Sheldon Keefe and Kyle Dubas the same way.
0: Yes, absolutely. And you got Austin Matthews getting into scrums in front of the net. It just no. felt like uh, uh, what? what? What no what? What do you mean? Well, I just, I'm just talking about just the specifically with
1: Sandine. No, specifically with Sandine where it was like that was a wake-up call for everybody about his ability right now. Like mm. he's definitely one of the Leafs best six defensemen.
0: It reminded me of, what was it, his first game, his second game in Detroit, mm-hmm. where Mike Babcock's talking about him being just a little diminutive guy, and you've got to protect him, and he's going to get hurt out there. You can't mm-hmm. let him on the ice. He's going to get body bagged, and he took a couple of hits. That seems like ages ago, and he doesn't, I guess, look necessarily bigger, and he's not going to be running over guys. He's 5'11", mm-hmm. but to add an element of that to his game where he's not as easily taken off pucks in the corner is huge for him because we know the offensive skill is there and getting a chance on power play one. If he can just not be as easy to play against physically, if you can't just take him out of his game with some physical play, that's a massive, massive weapon for him to use.
1: I don't think you can. I think he's a super poised guy. Maybe yeah. uh, sometimes we read a little bit too much into body language, but I also think that the body language matters. And for him, he doesn't seem like the kind of guy that gets emotionally phased during a game despite us not having seen a ton of him, the times we have seen him, there really haven't been those moments. The times we've spoken to him, he has seemed mature beyond his years. He just just very much seems like a calm, steady guy. He's strong. He's ridiculously strong. You see the same thing with Travis Dermott when he first came in, where he could level somebody despite not being the biggest guy. Sandine looks slight, and part of me believes that Blake Wheeler looked at that opportunity and thought, I'm going to smush this guy, and that's why he went in without thinking at all about protecting himself, and that's why he paid the price, is that he underestimated Rasmus Sandin. He hasn't played. He played a game with the Marlies. A game. I had to look at it. We were looking at what he had done this season, and I kind of wanted to see, and it was a game. One single game is what he played with the Marlies. I was What a game, though. What a game it must have been. Oh, how they're <laughs> going to tell tales about it for, for year to year. This guy has not played. The whole story of Rasmus Sandin is that he hasn't played. And that's why when there were discussions earlier in the season about trying to find him ice time and he was pissed off. Man, our buddy Sam McKee is producing the show today. I went on one of his shows early in the year when Rasmus Sandin was kind of barking a little bit about not being able to get on the ice. And I said, hey, I I don't know, man. Just wait, the Leafs' blue line is looking good and they had Letton in ahead of him at the time and I thought, okay, like, you're the eighth guy right now and you're 21 or 20. You can wait a little bit. It's no big deal. You'll be there. I know you're frustrated because you haven't played and now I look back on that and think, not only was that guy justified in barking, he was probably barking because he's seeing the same things we are now, which is I'm ready to be here. And not only am I ready to be here, I can impact winning in a way that is going to be meaningful. So Zach Bogosian is out four weeks, right? Which puts him to return, I I believe, some point during the first round. I'm having a real hard time seeing the scenario where Sandine comes out of the lineup if he's this guy. That they say, hey, we're not doing – I don't think they're going to go back to seven defensemen. They might do it in a game, but I still don't see it. I just don't see how they do it with all the forwards they have. Yeah, exactly. It hasn't really worked out for them. Plus, like, how do you balance the minutes? What are you supposed to be doing? Do you really need Bogosian? I like Bogosian. Bogosian is really good for them. I don't want to lose them. That's how good the Leafs' blue line has been this year. That all of a sudden this kid steps in, and I think, man, if you play this way, if you are this guy, boy, it's I... you're not coming out. <laughs> That's no, all. you're not. You're not and coming then, and out. And again,
0: and that's not a slight to Travis Dermott either, right? Who's had a... Well, I
1: don't know if he's coming out either. He can play on the outside. It just makes a difficult decision oh. for these guys.
0: <laughs> well, then who's coming out? Because well, it has potentially be-
1: Bogosian just doesn't come back. I don't know. Like, there's just... Maybe someone else gets hurt. I don't know. Yeah. That's It's weird when you think about that as, like, the ideal scenario. Mm-hmm. Where you say, hopefully someone gets injured so that feelings don't get hurt. Or they don't have a hard decision to make. But... Yeah, he's been he looks spectacular. He really really does. And I I'm trying not to overreact to this, but it's just his skating, his poise, his passing, the ability to jump up on the first power play, the way yeah. that he deals with physicality, the way that he moves the puck. It's just there's his everything about him is noticeable. He's just he's a noticeable player and I like that.
0: Well, that's the thing. That's what I was going to get to. The Travis Dermott has not had a bad season by any stretch of the imagination. The nope. Leafs blue line depth has been great. That third pairing's been More than adequate, Mm -hmm. but Travis Dermott plays a pretty quiet game, I would say. Not a lot of times you're like blown away by Travis Dermott when he's on the ice. Rasmus Sandin, you notice, like there is no question. There was that one play in the second period where he just dances off the blue Mm -hmm. line, comes in on on the play. We know in the four on four goal, uh, an incredible look. Like there are just moments, multiple during a game that he can impact it on the on the offensive end. And if you cannot just powder him in his own zone when he's in the corner. I think it's a super valuable thing to have, and especially when you can shelter him and his minutes on that third pairing.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk to Bourne about it some more later in the show. We have Leafs sour from uh 10 to 11, and then we actually have the GM of the Greyhounds on during the 11:30 block to discuss Sandine's progression and some of the stuff about him personally and just his makeup and and try to get to know him just a little bit better from someone who knows him better than we do. But there's a real 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 interesting conversation about him jumping up on PP1, uh-huh. getting a look at him there and and what the trickle down effect is to the team in season and the dynamics of the group yeah. when Morgan Riley's one of the most popular guys on the team. I just when and- they did that, I thought I, if you have a competitive bone in your body, you're not going to be happy about that. And we know how guys value those those minutes and, and that time and what it was to Tyson Berry last season and what it would be to him right now if all of a sudden they pulled the plug on that. And going into next season with us, the same group, if Sandine makes the team, how that would play with a guy who'd be entering free agency. Just saying. It
0: It was curious timing. So they had the whole intermission to think about it, and he starts the third period on power play one. They don't score. Sure did. The the, the power play looked good basically all game long, and Morgan Mm -hmm. Riley was on some power plays that looked good early on, and he got another chance on power play one after Mm -hmm. that, whatever, 50-some-odd seconds that Sandine started the third period. But clearly a conversation taking place in that intermission, Mm -hmm. and not just a, hey, man, maybe you're gassed. We just came off a two-minute shift, and we're going to make – no. It was like, there was a lot of thought that went into Rasmus Sandin starting the third period on Power Play 1 with the loaded up Power Play unit.
1: Now, to de-Toronto media this a little bit. No, don't. Why would you? No. I, because I need to. He, he. by he I mean Sheldon Keefe, is clearly going to be experimenting down the stretch here. Because what else do you have to do, right? Well,
0: Nobody on that power play too can be like I deserve yeah. to be here. We've been so no. good.
1: No, but it's 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 beyond that. It's just that they don't have anything to play for outside of experimenting and trying to find chemistry. Mm-hmm. That's it. And getting guys in optimal shape slash health down the stretch. No more injuries. Maybe a look at somebody. Maybe a look at a different line. Maybe a rest day for someone. It's just it's all about experimentation. How much can you tinker? All the things that. This should be a dream for Sheldon Keith. All the things that you wanted to do and all the things that you want to do, but in a conservative game like hockey... You've never been afforded the opportunity because wins and losses are scrutinized in such a certain way, especially in this market. Guess what? Now you can do it. Now you can do whatever you want because it's locked up. The division's done. The Leafs are going to finish first. There's nothing that's going to change that at this point. And you've got a solid team that's already checked basically every single box during the regular season. What's the biggest flaw as of right now? It's still, oh, what's going to happen with the goaltending? And we're doing that as the goaltending has been mostly fine when they don't have to put in big save Dave. Right? So... I, I just think it's great. They get to experiment. They get to see Sandine. Keep showing more of Sandine. The only thing is, is what if he turns out to be better than Morgan Riley on that unit? And is that completely implausible? I gotta say no, because of what you said. The power play has not been very good. So, yeah, I I'm very very interested in monitoring that situation. Are you with me though? Or are you rooting for Montreal?
0: Of course. I, I yeah, love okay. the fact that the Leafs still. What do they have? Four games left against that. Canadians team yeah they have four games left and that's what scares
1: me is that the leafs are too good and they're gonna they're gonna win a bunch of those games well they're gonna put riddick in net for one of them yeah
0: barring injury i think this is a great i I think things do break correctly for the leafs here Mm. because like you said they've locked up number one in the north it's not happening eight games left they have an eight point lead It's over. It's Mm -hmm. done. They have a winning record against everybody that's not the Vancouver Canucks, and they can salt that away with their two remaining games against Vancouver. They have sent a message, and everybody knows it. And it's funny to hear the Jets talk about the Leafs after the game, like, almost with resignation. They're like, yeah, that's a playoff, they played a playoff game right there. Everybody knows if they're at their best, they're unbeatable in this division. Mm-hmm. That's not to say that they're going to come out of this division 100%, but everybody knows that they're the best team. They've proven it throughout the regular season. We'll see if that continues into the postseason. But there's nothing left to play for. There's a ton still all of a sudden left to play for for the Montreal Canadiens. You're going mm-hmm. to get the best version of the Montreal Canadiens fighting tooth and nail to all of a sudden get into the playoffs, you have four of these games remaining that are super meaningful, and maybe you want to even throw the Canucks games in there too because they have so many games. They actually control their own destiny.
1: Mm, they have, yeah. they
0: can make up ten points, and, and yeah, they got to
1: beat the Oilers, I think, five times in a row or something. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, sure, okay, yeah, they control they their can, own destiny. Yeah, okay, control. that's yeah, that's man. like them saying that to me. Like you could be a star at the company, you control your own destiny. I'm like. Mm. Yeah. But
0: I'm still me, right? Yeah,
1: right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Uh, But, yeah, I love the idea of playing meaningful games. There's, um, yeah, not much for the Leafs to play for, but there's a lot for these other teams to play for that they're coming Mm -hmm. up uh, in these next eight games. All right. It's undeniable now. Not that it was not undeniable before. Leafs, the best team in this division. Now six and three against the Jets with one more game still to come. They are six and uh, six one and two against the Oilers, four and two against the Montreal Canadiens. Only team they don't have a winning record against the Vancouver Canucks, which is weird, but also they'll be able to change that with the upcoming couple of games against them. Let's talk to Justin Bourne as we do every Monday on Good Show's Leafs Sour, the NHL on Sportsnet. What's going on, Bourney?
2: Good morning, gentle friends. How's everyone today?
1: Good, everyone friends. is pretty well. I think I everyone made that is up. pretty well. Things good. are good because yeah. there's reason to believe that the Maple Leafs will go far in the postseason. Like that's their biggest competitor. Leafs are missing a guy that we, I believe, consensus agree is one of their most important players. And yeah, they just they they look like there is a pretty sizable gap between the two teams.
2: It's like how we we judge our weeks and our moods on Mondays. Like the mm-hmm. Leafs win a couple in a row, it's amazing, yeah. it's great. Yeah. <laughs> but it is amazing and well, it is great. What else can you do? <laughs> yeah, that's how we <laughs> live our <laughs> lives. We're sports people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so uh, it, I'll just uh, jump in on that by saying that watching that this week uh, or those last couple games against Winnipeg, like you would have to feel pretty comfortable. Not comfortable, but like in a series against the Jets, like it, it mm-hmm. they look like the better team top to bottom. Like goaltending, obviously, is an advantage that the Jets have, but that's pretty much it. And I don't think that you know that's enough to, to say that you would prefer the Jets. So certainly, I like the matchup there.
1: Yeah. So and it's kind of an important perspective to keep too at times where you say, what did we think entering this season? You know, like, mm-hmm. not that on paper always matters. And could the Jets beat the Leafs in a playoff series? We keep doing that caveat. But, like, of course, of course, any team can do it. That's why the Leafs don't have a winning record against the Canucks, arguably the worst team in this division. But before this season, we looked at this and said, are the Jets a playoff team? And the response was, maybe. Did anybody say are the Jets and Leafs on the same page? Did anybody say that this is going to be the matchup that Toronto has? no. And you know why? Because the Jets and the Oilers and the Flames and the Canadians are all very much in a different place than the Toronto Maple Leafs are. They just are. And it's a huge disappointment if the Leafs lose. And and we've just seen this play out over and over and over again where it is not only from an urgency standpoint, but just a roster composition, where they're at, level of depth, level of talent, everything. There's just no – there's not a lot of boxes that you can tick for the other teams. And I I think that we do a lot of overemphasizing – one area right where we'll say well this team is a better checking team than Toronto or this team is a better has a better goaltender than Toronto but overall it's are they better than Toronto and the answer has been a resounding no throughout the season no 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 matter what you throw at the Leafs no matter who has played them in this division the answer is flat out no
2: yeah and what's funny about that is like you can sense that from fans as it's gotten close, as teams, like, there were points here over the past month where, you know, the Oilers are four points behind them, the Jets are three points behind them with a game in hand. Like, they're never, it never felt like a whole panic, like, I don't know. It just kind of felt at some point like they were so obviously the best team in the division. I didn't know how or what or when or where, but it just felt like they would end up on top of this division. Today feels like the day where you can pretty much crown them. You can crown them yeah. at this point. I mean, yeah, there's eight can. games left. They're up what eight points? It's over. Yeah, it's over. that's right. Yeah,
0: it's it's like an NBA team. You know, like that. You know, you got the the heavy favorite in a basketball game. Only up a single digits, or maybe trailing at the half, but you know that the third quarter is going to happen, and they're going to pull away, and the superior team with the most talent is going to be the best. And there is no question. There was no question for me going into the weekend that the Leafs were that team, and now it's just it's just obvious, obvious, obvious. And anything short of getting out of this North Division is an unmitigated, complete, and total disaster. (laughs) Especially now, considering that all of a sudden they're throwing in their seventh defenseman, a guy who couldn't get into the lineup because there were two guys ahead of him in Rasmus Sandin and he's an impact player who could be a significant add for the postseason what are we
2: watching here Bourne well it's a it's a good question I'm not entirely sure but uh, if you look at where he is kind of in his career arc, you know, he's an age now where defensemen start to become relevant on their NHL teams, like not just, you know, guys who can handle a couple of minutes, but 21 years old for guys who are going to play in the top four, they, they start to be contributors here. Uh, Sandin is a guy we've talked about, who played 29 games for the Leafs uh, just a season before, and it's just kind of came into this year with bad luck two ways. He came into the year with bad luck and that the Leafs wanted to get tougher, and adding a guy like Zach Bogosian on the cheap just made sense, which kind of put him as the seventh guy, so that was a tough spot. And then the injury luck when he did get in, um, obviously, no bueno, doesn't help his chances of being the guy that you know, he could prove that he deserved more minutes or beat out Dermot or whoever it may be. So, this is kind of interesting that, you know, coming down the stretch, he's gotten in for a few games, kind of found himself a little bit. And, like, the thing that you wouldn't think of with him, uh, because he's a smaller guy, like, he showed a physical element and, and a willingness and ability to play a little bit of, of contact hockey, which was maybe something that you thought, or I thought previously, that as a young kid, he didn't look equipped to handle. If he can handle that, he's definitely the more skilled. Guy, more talented guy, more likely to be useful in the power play guy than someone like Dermot. So, and with Bogosian out, you know, all of a sudden he may put them in a position where you go, I don't know, who. what's the bottom pair look like?
1: Well, Bogosian's out until the playoffs. That's just a thing that's happening. And I don't know how, if Sandine continues to play this way, there's going to be any justification for him coming out of the lineup. I was talking about this earlier, but. He just – he looks like someone who – he looks like the guy we thought he was going to be. And all the stuff that was thrown on him, the poise, the strength, the skating, the puck handling, the vision Mm – you're seeing glimpses of that at all times. And I I just think about the upside of that player versus some of the other guys that are on the lineup. I say, well, it's just I'm sorry, but if you're in a win-now season, he's probably better than those guys, especially when you take into account. And this is the part that I'm having a tough time grappling with because there's obviously a case for sample size and saying, well, let's just see it a little bit more. And that's cool. But there's also a case for this guy has played no games this year he played no games last year essentially and he's just being dropped into the NHL and playing this well and I'm going "Um, that has to matter I'm sure there's a level of like it's the Galchenyuk factor right where there's a guy who's coming in and playing desperate and urgent during a time where there's guys who are not playing desperate and urgent maybe and so it stands out a little bit more and then as you go forward it starts to normalize and you start to recalibrate the expectations a bit so I am going to keep that in mind but I don't know what to make of the fact that this guy played one game with the Marlies this year. I don't know what to make of the fact that there was nowhere for him to play basically all COVID, and then he steps in here and looks like this. Like It's kind of understated. Yeah. Yeah, no, what a bizarre
2: scenario for him. And, like, God, give the guy a sec, right? Like, you know, the, the early performances – a lot of us evaluating these guys like it's almost impossible it's unfair to even form any opinion Uh, you know until he's had a half a dozen games or something just to you know get up to the pace of play you know the full season swing is you know these teams are at their their peak right now essentially so uh great spot for him to be in you know young and fresh legs to go to go with it all so you know we we run the risk of getting too excited about a guy uh, based on a couple of good games and I know we hedge everything and that's brutal but it's like you know if he gets a, a little bit of run here with Bogosian out and he's gonna as you mentioned then I think we're gonna have a fair opinion you know going into playoffs of, of what he can be and if if he looks like a guy who can run the power play like I, I don't know we, okay. we've talked about Morgan Riley on this show is yep. uh, you know not being a lock for those minutes necessarily it might be interesting come three weeks from now to see what we think You know what sort of role this guy could play for the Leafs
1: okay so we're here <laughs> we're here maybe uh, the reason why sometimes we couch things is almost to show the rational side or at least I do before I do outlandish takes like this one are we prepared yeah. <laughs> okay. mm-hmm. so you brought us to the Morgan Riley thing and I think it's been pretty clear amongst the three of us that I have had my doubts about the proper rating of Morgan Riley for quite some time as let's put it that way. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I, I yeah. think you're bang on. Yeah. Um when I would see Morgan Riley team Canada, I would say but why? Um <laughs> but why? When I would see the <laughs> the differences in terms of the way Jake Gardner and Morgan Riley were discussed, I would say but why? And this season has been not a lot of great Morgan Riley, especially considering that he finally, like, what's the Morgan Riley excuse box now, right? It was always get him a guy he could play with, and they got him TJ Brody. And there have been now moments where they said, well, we're going to try you with Hall because we don't really love the way that this is working. Hey, uh, he didn't get his power play one time last season because they brought in Barry and they had to cycle things around and now he's going to be back to the unit. He's going to find himself again. Well, uh, there's kind of a pretty strong case for him being one of the, the biggest problems with the power play units so far. There's been kind of a lot of mistakes for Morgan Riley and it's a player who makes them, but it's also someone who's been better sheltered than, a long, than ever before and the production is probably not matched exactly what you would think. When it comes to the power play, if Sandine is better than Morgan Riley on power play 1. If they deem that to be the case, I don't know how that wouldn't cause a bit of a ripple effect because this this is just the case I'm going to outline. This team is in win now mode. They can't be in shelter feelings mode even if Morgan Riley is still far more important than Rasmus Sandine. There's just okay, like we'll say that. If he's better for power play 1 and he steals those minutes, Morgan Riley has to be with the understanding that Going into next year, he will not be on Power Play 1 in a year where he's an unrestricted free agent or walking into unrestricted free agency. Having that removed for him is going to change his earning potential probably. At least it's going to be somewhat of a factor. Someone's probably going to overpay him, but maybe he loses the amount of options, of dollars, all those different things. It's certainly a consideration. This is where it's going to get crazy. If <laughs> Rasmus Sandin is already taking Power Play 1 with Morgan Riley. It's my belief that next offseason you are trying to trade Morgan Riley rather than walk him into own free agency or whatever because there's just no way that if you look at the puzzle pieces, he fits moving forward with the cap structure and just the, the roster composition. It just doesn't make any sense.
2: Huh. Huh, I'm I'm intrigued. You know all the different ways that everyone has been trying to solve the salary cap issues between uh, Zach Hyman and Freddie Anderson. The, the Morgan yep. Riley question is certainly a valid option. Um, you know I know I know Leafs fans. Listening to this, are are just like trade Morgan Riley, what do you have in your mind? He's our best defenseman. Morgan Riley, or sorry, Rasmus Sandin plays good for a game and you're trading him. (laughs) You know, like I can hear it and see it all, but yeah, which is fine.
1: I accept all of the criticism of this take. I'm just telling you that it's not something that I've thought about for the first time. It's something that I've thought about since Rasmus, since the Jake Muzzin contract extension, essentially. When they extended Jake Muzzin, they said half of our top four on the left side is Jake Muzzin moving forward. And we drafted this guy, Rasmus Sandin, who's a left-shot D. And yeah. while you can maybe put him over on the right side, like this is his pre- preferred position, and this is where he's supposed to be. And he's not a bottom-pairing D, so what are we doing? Where, yep. What is the future of this? I've been thinking about this for a while. You know what we got to do? we got to create a place
2: where I can we can buy and sell stock in takes. Like, I'm buying stock in that take. I am buying stock in the idea that Rasmus Sandin could – have a great next three weeks and really impress people and be like, wait, he does the offensive things that Riley does, but also less, you know, uh, gaffes, mm-hmm. like like bad moments. I, I could I could see that happening. I could see that conversation leading to a, a place where they're like, we have to save some money. Riley's a guy we can save some money. I can see it. So I'm buying stock in that take as, as a possible outcome for sure. Uh, and, and an interesting one. So that you know, that raises the stakes for Riley too. This is another thing about having good players or a good team, and having some players on the way is, I think, it pushes guys. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't think Morgan Riley sees everything you just said? You don't think he sees a guy? Uh, you know that could exactly. potentially cost him two million dollars per season if he's not on his game? Like, it, it, I think it forces him to tighten up a little bit. I mean. There is still a huge gap in my mind between prime age players, like guys like 27 years old who have played in the league and are physically strong men and have been around the block a few times, and young guys like Sandine who are full of potential. I still want Riley playing all the minutes for the Leafs this season, but I do see a succession program in place there, and I do see a way that, that you know, Morgan Riley could feel threatened and feel the need to step up his game.
1: Yeah, maybe I'm watching too much of the F1 show. Maybe now that I've watched it through Lose twice, a seat. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah,
3: that's that's the a, way I look at everything now bar. is
1: like this is a, this is Daniel Ricciardo with Red Bull looking at Max Verstappen going, I'm better than him, or I'm going to keep my seat. And then it's like, uh-uh, you're going and driving for Renault, big guy. You're out of here. <laughs> like, we're going with Verstappen. Yeah. And no that's how I'm viewing the – Right, that's got, but that's the difference, and this is where I'm going, is that it is a team sport, and they have put a clear emphasis on the room, the room, the room, and making sure that they didn't trade someone, although I did kind of feel as though they definitely shopped Kerfoot. They couldn't get a Kerfoot deal, and then when they didn't dra- trade Kerfoot, they said, oh, we just didn't want to take anybody off this roster because we didn't want to move the room. It's like, okay, yeah, that's GM speak. Um, they put an emphasis on that with getting Foligno. They put an emphasis on that with Joe Thornton and Jason Spezza. And they I are that ben team Hutton. this year. Yeah. Right. They put an emphasis on that. And by all accounts, Morgan Riley is a, a like a a real guy in terms of impacting that element. Locker room presence. Guy that gets along with everybody. Leadership structure, all of those things, right? Morgan Riley is a popular dude. And he's not stupid. So he has to be able to see a succession plan in place. He has to look at it and say, I've been a Leafs core piece, a Leafs fan favorite from the outset here, someone who has essentially absolved no blame, and now that this team is, frankly, when it comes to salary cap hockey teams, perfect – People are starting to shine a bit of a spotlight on me, and when they're looking at how to improve and the future and all of these things because we can never just live in the moment as fans, he's got to see Sandine at that stall. He's got to see Sandine grabbing that power play one time as a quote-unquote experiment and playing the game and and thinking about those things. And that stuff, I guess, worries me a little. I'm not overly concerned about it because I know it's not F1, but it's, it's a something. Like if we were playing Is This Anything? To me, it's a something. Is How about this? Is
2: Morgan Riley DeMar DeRozan? The team finally mm-hmm. gets good enough. The guy who's been mm-hmm. around beloved as wow. part of the build is the guy who has to go I to hope put not. him over the top.
0: Because they're supposed to be good enough right now. No, he's not DeMar DeRozan yeah. because, yeah, they're not bringing in uh, Kawhi Leonard today. They're they're supposed to be good enough to, to win with him, and then maybe at that point he goes on his way. It's like, yeah.
1: Right, I but got... let's say they don't win this year. Let's say they run into yeah. whoever. In a conference final or in a Stanley Cup, and they don't win, and they're looking at how to best improve the team. You cannot tell me that the conversation is not going to be what if we put 20, what's Sandine next year, 22 or 23?
0: He's 21 now, so yeah, it'll be 22.
1: Yeah, okay. Then let's put 22 year old Rasmus Sandine up with TJ Brody and see how this works for us. And see, like, you can still get a haul for Morgan Riley. Yep. Like, we already saw that one year of Tyson Berry can get you Nazem Kadri with two well, years on turn. Yeah. So, I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody's making that mistake again. But I'm just saying the point is, is that that kind of a defenseman still is a high $5 million for Morgan Riley is a crazy bargain deal, especially in yeah. this cap era. And it, it's the whole case of when you trade someone like that. Man, Nick Felino just got a first-round pick from the Leafs, and you're getting, what, 10 games of Nick Felino before the playoffs? Like, obviously, Morgan Riley brings you back a lot. This isn't a case of, are the Leafs better without Morgan Riley. Clearly, that's not the case. Clearly, clearly, clearly. The case is, can you make the puzzle pieces fit a little bit better while bringing back other assets that help you win and move forward with an easier contract picture after this offseason. And Rasmus Sandin's play is going to drive that conversation one way or the other. That's all. It's not about this season. Morgan Riley is better right now. But all I'm saying is, is that if you don't think that the drumbeat is going to get a little bit louder, if you see Rasmus Sandin playing playoff games and looking stable and laying out the likes of 6'5 Blake Wheelers and thinking, I've never seen Morgan Riley do that, and then stealing his minutes on the power play where he's supposed to be amongst his most value, I just don't see how this doesn't become obvious yeah, I love it. I love it. What a market, eh? <laughs> like, <laughs> you like, can blame me if you want. You can not, say it's the market if you wrong. want. It's just that, you're Not wrong. What, what, is the, what is the counter? Like, give me the counter for that. Like, I get to save $4 million. Well, I guess, no, Sandy's got one more year at sub a million bucks. You get to save $4 million and you get to bring back assets for potentially a what drop off in play. That what drop off in play is what we get to find out over this stretch.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh no, it's and what's crazy is like in all these conversations, no one is like, I think you just let Hyman go. <laughs> you know, like it's yeah, like God, no. who no. who must we sacrifice for Zach that's, Hyman? So
1: That's where you get the Hyman money, yeah. From uh But the, there's no the other Hyman way. coming in. Like if there was some guy who was Hyman light mm-hmm. and I thought could be better <laughs> than Hyman the following season, I would say, Well, you gotta do it, right? But it's Don't about PR what you have go? as Uh, Hey, turns out that the Pierre Engvall take of this season and of this show has turned out to be... Um, Correct. (laughs) Let's just say I'm feeling justified in some takes. I'm actually feeling kind of red hot on some takes. Producer Sam McKee is not going to like one segment of the show that revolves around one of his like all time favorite Maple Leafs, Alex Galchenyuk, because it's like, (laughs) yeah, uh, we're getting to the point where the will the real Alex Galchenyuk please stand up. And and he has done that. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to stay with this. So the Morgan Riley thing. We at least all agree that Rasmus Sandin is supposed to be a top-four defenseman. And if he's supposed to be a top-four defenseman, where is his spot? And how soon is it going to be? That's all I ask of people to think about today. That's it. That's all That's all I want them to think about. And then when we watch him play, trying to figure out where that's going to be. If he's not ready, if it turned out to be that he's just having a couple of good games here or there, like, fine. Keep Morgan Riley. Keep him down in the third pairing build your team out that way. I'm just thinking that there's there's at least going to be a chance and a lot of it is going to revolve around the power play.
2: You know what's interesting is the more I'm putting thought into this after having it proposed to me just moments ago is there's yeah. not really a scenario where Sandine proves to be a top four player that doesn't cost you Morgan Riley or come at the cost of Morgan Riley because they're not going to spend $5 million on a third pair guy. They are not. That is not, that's no. just, oh. they won't do it.
0: Yeah. You're talking about the idea of moving Morgan Riley down to the third pair? Yeah, division? like having yeah, him play less
2: minutes right. or not on the first power play. It's like, no, no, no. What no. they'll do is trade him for humans. Humans or the picks of humans.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's and, any. I, and I'm there. not even going to try to make the case that Sandine next year could be better than Morgan Riley, but no. do we not at least think that there is a world in which a 22 year old Sandine is at least on the same level as 28 year old Morgan Riley
2: well what's you know the, the scary part here is we were you know we sold ourselves on Alex Kerfoot being 15% worse than Nazem Kadri for right. 50% mm-hmm. of the savings or whatever the, the math was i don't know but like you know you, you don't you can't get 15% worse at every position and stay great so no. you know it's a, it's a matter of how close Sandine can get and so this is a pretty big audition for him over the next 8 games and, and likely That's playoffs it.
1: That's yep. it. It's a big audition. So I want to move on because people are probably mad. Yeah. I, I texted bad. this to you last night. Tavares and Nylander have been way better lately. And part of me is going, well, is this shooting percentage luck? Is this different expectations at different points of the season? Is this getting wrapped up in narrative? Was it discounting the efforts of Tavares to be more defensively responsible? Blah, 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 blah. I don't know what it is. What, what, is there something different about Tavares and Elander, or are we just watching the same thing and we've just been watching it over and over again and we don't know what to do with our takes anymore? Because it sure <laughs> no. feels different.
2: No, it does feel different. I, th- you know, I think, you know, part of the, this last year of hockey has been like really not knowing how to fairly judge people's lives and what they're going through. And I'm not going to sit here and make t- excuses for John Tavares, but he wasn't his same, uh, his same self for a stretch of hockey there that happened to coincide with a pandemic and having a child, you yeah. know, and like that makes home life more challenging. That makes, you know, other things a little bit secondary in terms of priority. I don't know, but he wasn't himself for a while. And there, there's some quotes from Tavares from the past couple of days where he says, He feels like he has pop in his legs again. He feels like he can go longer into a shift. He feels like, you know, a battle in the corner doesn't use up all his energy. He just feels better. And you can see it, and you know our our boy Anthony Petrilli. One of the things that, that he talks about with Tavares looking good is when he tries to beat guys to the inside on the rush, when he tries to make guys miss, and he's been doing that. He's been making defenders miss him and just creating opportunities to the inside of the rink where you know he can can be at his best. So yeah, it looks different to me. And Nylander, hey, he's just fresh off a week vacation or whatever yeah, it was. It. <laughs> that, that, I think that probably helped him too, with some pressure from coach as well. So a little pressure on Nylander and some. Popping into various legs it's a nice combination
0: yeah the Nealander thing it's uh interesting how that coincided with the missing of the meeting understandably apparently if he had uh, roger's phone over that span and then immediately went into his god mode which he is want to do too right like this he looks bigger <laughs> when he's playing what this way is.
1: when yeah. i'm watching him i'm like was knee always that big <laughs> that's <Yeah. laughs> truly how i feel watching him he looks
2: bigger yeah, he's, he's he's actually funny when he's, like, because he plays softer, you kind of, like, lose track of the actual size of the guy. He's a lot of human. Well, uh, and, but that's the thing. Human. He's
0: he's taking the puck to the net on occasion, too, right? He's not playing as soft a game. I mean, he's still possessing the puck, skating around people in the offensive zone. But I've noticed recently, yeah, occasionally he is not afraid of the front of the net uh, where pucks go and trying. to really them there. It's
2: really – Really fun, and one of the reasons I enjoy talking hockey with you guys is a healthy acknowledgement of both sides of the realities of hockey. That you know, analytics have a purpose and there's value, and we can find some stuff. But also, the good old-fashioned hockey, like staples, are real, and like size is a, just so important in hockey. Like, just to battle at the front of the net and win pucks and take the abuse. And you know, one guy we're going to talk about here in a bit, um, Brooks, is not large. Um, And that greatly shapes how I feel about him. The same with Alex Kerfoot. Like, uh, Alex Kerfoot does so many things great. He skates so good. He works so hard. He's just a little fella. Mm. It's hard to be important and meaningful in tight-checking games when you're just small.
1: Yeah. um, I doubted Fred Van Vliet at the very beginning of his Raptors career, and I was wrong. I was very, 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 very wrong. Like, the most wrong that you can possibly be. But the reason I doubted Fred VanVleet is because of his size. And all I would say is, like, if there wasn't reason to doubt him, it's like, why isn't the entire NBA built of guys that look like Fred Uh VanVleet? It's like, you're the exception. It's like, it's possible to be a small player and be incredible, but... It's you have to prove it differently. I'm sorry. Like when Marcus Stroman's like height doesn't measure heart. It's like yeah, but it does view scouting reports. Like we do need a little bit more data to say like yeah, can Marcus Stroman do this consistently and for a long time? Hey, yes he can. But are we all of a sudden should we all of a sudden be going draft five foot nine pitchers everywhere because this is now the thing? Is you can just get them any no size of course matters. Yeah and. Yeah, you're – anyway, we don't need to get into a conversation we've had a million different times in a different million ways. But yes, of course, just being logical and illogical as a sports fan, that blend of things to me is what makes these conversations fun. And if you're just kind of one way or the other, it just sort of spoils it. So yeah, uh, I hope we can find a blend and I hope that people can – pick through that blend and hear what they want to hear kind of thing. <laughs> <That> <laughs> they do anyway. <laughs> right, exactly. You just aggregate that and born obviously analytics matter. You could put that as a, like a quote for the internet and you could also yeah. do it a different way and where it's like, but obviously size matters and someone could aggregate you a different way. So yeah, fun, fun times. All right, you guys want to take a break? Let's
3: Benny's looking at right. me
1: with the break sign. Um, okay. So a couple things to tease going to the other side of the break. Uh Thornton Brooks spetza and I think depth guys who we're getting a pretty clear picture on again including Alex Galchenyuk who has gone cold lately and only played 11 some minutes the other night Uh, that's that's next on Good Show's Leafs Hour on sports I'm not a fan Hey it's Good Show's Leafs Hour I'm J.D. Bunkus he's Ben Ennis Follow us on Instagram and on Twitter. And then do the same thing with JT Bourne. Um, I I texted Bourne last night before this hit, as I always do, and want to pick your brain on certain things. So now I'm going to, I've already done my big, grandiose, hot takery. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So now let's pivot down (laughs) to some guys that are not as, uh, let's say, consequential to the future of the Toronto Maple Leafs franchise in the now or future. With a couple dudes that you wanted to talk about And that's Brooks and that's Galchenyuk
2: Yeah, um, I'll start with Brooksy Uh, (laughs) I'll throw in the why because I know him Um, Mm -hmm. Brooksy is a a, a really good kid and a really smart player He's been really interesting to watch with this Leafs team uh, Over the last few games Just because, try to make sense of can he do it? Can he sustain it? Can he be a guy that's consistently in this Leafs lineup? And they've kept Engvall out of the lineup in favor of him, which, God, Sheldon keeps just dying to not play Engvall. He wants
1: someone to give him a reason
2: to not play hey, Guess him. what?
1: Anybody should have that <laughs> thought,
2: okay? He's just so big and fast. It's impossible to not be better when you're as big and fast as that guy. But anyway, um, so the the question for me is, can he do it? And I mentioned uh, before the break just that he's small. Like I don't know if you can overcome the size thing. Uh, I got a I, I text or tweeted that you know that he's small and doesn't skate great and i'm not sure if any amount of being cerebral or working hard can overcome those things but i got a couple of texts from people in the organization who were like he actually really has improved his skating it still kind of looks funky to me but apparently he's he's skating much better than he had been when i would have seen him play a little bit more so that that one you can kind of check a little bit but to me like that's alex kerfoot really smart skates extremely well you know does a lot of things that we like and great but how effective is he going to be? So for me, that's the ceiling for Brooks. Is someone like, like Alex Kerfoot, is he going to play fourth-line minutes for this Leafs team over Pierre Engvall? That is as much an indictment of Engval to me as it would be praise for Brooks.
1: To me, my only thought on it is, well, as you have this experimentation, I've seen all I need to see of what Engval is, and I don't need to see added games. But Thornton Brooks-Spetza mm-hmm. has at least shown flashes of being a line that I like. And so Mm -hmm. I just would like to see a couple more of it because I think that those small reps for Brooks matter more than they do for Angelo.
2: Yeah, you know what? I I think of Brooks as like a connector. I'm thinking of like Mm – I I don't know. What are those like kids' toys that you – I don't know. they got sticks and wheels. I don't know. I'm clearly (laughs) – Diplos? Diplos? I don't
1: know. But anyway.
0: (laughs) Diplo, you clown. Diplo's the the musician.
1: (laughs)
2: Yes but, yes. but anyway, he's like, you know, when you have him between two two players, the line works together. He is the opposite of a Kapanen, where he Kapanen existed independent of his line mates. He, he's like, he really works well with, with his line mates, and when you have guys like Spezza and Thornton, who are so cerebral and great vision and good hands, like they can really think their way around a sheet and almost ultimate frisbee their way up the ice with little passes and little plays, which I love. Oh, I like but... But, you know, in the end, again, he's not on his own, a big powerhouse of a player, but he's just a different type of player than Engvall.
0: Yeah, and we we talked about Rasmus Sandin, the pressure being on him to assert himself as a member of this blue line as we head towards the playoffs and maybe Zach Bogosian comes back. I mean, maybe he never felt this, but we discussed the idea of Joe Thornton maybe being a healthy scratch, maybe not for game one, but at some point, and you wonder if part of that is... uh, is playing into his improved play of late first goal since February. Well, that's the thing. It's certainly not happening the way he is playing right now. And especially with the, the other non um, scoring part of his game that he brought to that hockey game over the weekend. Like what have you made of Joe Thornton recently? Because he talked about a little extra jump in his step recently.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, I, I love his game lately, and like that's the role that he's going to have to play for this Leafs team, this like hyper engaged guy in a limited, in limited minutes who's effective and, you know, really, he does other things for the team. I, I don't want him to get to the point where he's like, oh, I need to be like an agitator for this team to have value or something. Just, just that level of engagement and. I don't know. Like Thornton, it's not like Thornton hasn't been through playoff battles. Sometimes we overstate the whole Stanley Cup thing. Uh, you know, well, you're at the mercy of your team more often than not. And I think he's been through some battles. So you want him in the lineup. You want that energy and that presence on the bench. Someone who's not afraid of the moment. And I don't think he will be. So to me, I don't. Even if we think someone might be a better hockey player at some point, Thornton's going to be a part of this team, a part of this lineup every game in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I think he's a lock. And I actually wrote down a list of guys that I think are locks to be in the lineup if they're healthy um, every game of the playoffs, and he's one of them. And I've had my moments where I've thought he shouldn't be. I've certainly had long stretches. I shouldn't say moments. I should say long stretches of, I don't know if this guy can do it anymore because he can't skate, he can't move. But it's just you, you... – I can't be a complete hypocrite and say that I only count intangibles when I see fit and then not count them when I don't. And to me, Thornton and just the, that nastiness and that competitiveness and that desire to win and that experience and that ability to finish around the net when he does get those opportunities and those chance, those, those abilities still with the puck on his stick when he does get uh, a, a passing lane that they're just more valuable than the things that I, I, an Alex Kerfoot brings or certainly a Pierre Engvall or a Brooks, right? So I, I don't know what I've been trying to talk myself into. And I would say that as of right now, the, these are my locks, as in you are on the playoff roster with all certainty. Tavares, Nylander, Matthews, Marner, Felino, Mikheyev, Spezza, Thornton, Simmons. I don't think that Galchenyuk is a lock anymore. Hyman, well, sorry, I, I put who's playing in the game, but yes, Hyman. Hyman is there. <laughs> Do we think that Galchenyuk is still a lock?
2: Uh, no, so that's um, you know kind of another place that I'm coming to grips with. So, mm-hmm. if you look at his performance. He, man, he, I think of the old line, like, he Bad. is who we thought he was. Yep. You know, this this guy is an offensive player with offensive skills, size, uh, and value. You can see when they're in the offensive zone, whoever he's playing with, they, they're better. And when he's played with Matthews and Marner, their line gets more go, more scoring chances, more coursey, if you will, uh, for, and, and same when he's with uh, Tavares and Nylander. Now, on the other hand, they both are wildly worse defensively. Like way worse defensively than they are without him. You put anyone else on the wing with those guys in the line is a better defensive unit. I cannot imagine a scenario where um, Sheldon Keith looks at the lineup and says, "You know what I want beside Tavares and Nylander in playoffs is a guy who makes them worse defensively."
1: Yeah. No chance.
2: So um, if they're healthy, he's not playing in the thing. top six. And then if he's not going to be in the top six, I don't know. It's very possible he's on the on the outs.
1: So, I get it. He had a good stretch, and he's still exceeded expectations considering he was someone who looked as though he was never going to play an NHL game again, and that's great, but he doesn't have a point in his last four games, and he's got 8 over 26, and he's been a minus in all of his last five games. He's on like, the ice for you...
0: eight goals against in his last five games.
1: Yeah, the, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say here. Like, you're getting into the most important stretch of the season, and like... What's the case for the Galchenyuk defenders? Like I honestly wish Sam McKee, our producer, had a mic today because it's like this guy has defended Galchenyuk like to the hilt and what's the case other than he has a cool number and he looks the part. Like I, I don't <laughs> know what it is when we're saying – when we're looking at this practically and he's gotten mad at me when I say like, trying. Oh,
0: Does JD disconnect? Okay, JD is disconnected. And I am still connected. It's always confusing. He's still talking to himself, which I enjoy. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Galchenyuk thing. Like I, we talked about that specific line. But if you were just given the option, the straight up question, Born, what would what does this team need to lean more into? More scoring or more defense? The answer, time and time again, has to be more defense, right? Oh, is Born gone too? Is everybody gone? All right. I'm still talking. I see J.D. Bunkus is not doing anything, and he's talking to himself again. But it seems clear that the reason why this Leafs team has higher expectations is because they can actually protect a 3-2 lead. They're more built in a way that they could win that five-game series that they couldn't against the Columbus Blue Jackets a season ago, where they take advantage of their offensive opportunities, but they play stout defensively, and they protect what might be inferior goaltending and if that means that you have to lean further into the inability to score but defend uh, and I think Riley Nash is probably going to be a key component to this if and when they can get him back throw him into the lineup a guy who's yeah not gonna score for you again not asking Nick Foligno to score for you lean into the identity of this hockey team which is defend very well Score when you can. Uh, Score on the power play, which is uh, something they haven't done recently. But, yeah, take advantage of your opportunities when they present themselves. All right. I think we're going to try and take a break here. And uh, we'll see what exactly happens on the other side of the break. So I'm excited to see what happens, uh, as you should be as well. Let's all reset and return to Good Show's Leafs Hour on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. I've been promised a radio show with three people. Mm.
2: Oh, I heard. a Hmm. Born. Hello, hello, hello. Amazing. Okay.
0: Listen, I, I was. Got...
2: I want to be what? in a studio so bad. I'm so sick of this,
0: buddy. You and me both. I'd even put up with the horrible traffic. To get into that studio. There's just something different about seeing people face-to-face. Maybe not JD because I see his face through a stupid little window in my computer. <laughs> well,
1: here's the thing. I, I love sleep, and since we get to work at home, I get an, like an hour more of it. So it's a real, real, real tough one. Like the odd time where I want to smash my phone over the bad connections, my missing of my friends – Versus that hour of sleep, boys, is it's a dead heat day to day. It's a dead heat. <laughs> <It> <laughs>
2: yeah, tough to argue with that.
1: Well, <laughs> so I can't sleep at night. I can't sleep at night. I'm terrible at sleeping at night, but I'm really good at sleeping in. And so I don't know what to make it. It's just difficult to sleep. I'm not right? good at it's sleeping in. Fun. I'm good at napping. So I think,
0: yeah, I think we I, should try and like... create a reverse world where we, we're nocturnal. We live in a world at night <laughs> and then sleep during the day. Sure like that's called being a morning children.
2: show host, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that Except is if you don't case. really
0: ever sleep if you're on the morning show. But yeah. Anyways, the point I was making all by my lonesome as you guys were freaking out with your technologies was that, the, to the Galchenyuk point, this team is good and has the potential it does because they're way better defensively. They're good at limiting mm-hmm. opposing teams' opportunities if you have a choice, one or the other, more offense, more defense, born, you're leaning more defense or you're not.
2: Yeah, and they they've kind of made that decision at every turn here, it's looked like. So, yeah, that's why Galchenyuk puts him in a tough spot. And like you don't, don't I don't want to take away from his value, and I also don't want to make this some case that he's not an NHL player or he can't play in the league. He's done like he'd be a valuable player on pretty much I don't know, let's call it 25 teams in the league. You know the the best of the best are pretty solid all the way around and don't have a whole lot of guys in their top six who can only play one way. And unfortunately, there are more moments from Alex Galchenyuk that I can trace directly to a coverage breakdown on his part than anyone else on the on the team up front. And it's that it's it's rare. Like it's it is glaring to me how often he is more than a step out of place.
1: Okay, so. We usually hold the lesser players accountable. Correct? Is this not the thing that we do on the show sometimes to a fault?
2: Sure. Sounds right. Well, <laughs> one,
1: one man is always trying to drive home horrible points about the horrible players, and that man jumped on two A because he just needs to defend Pierre Engvall, I guess, and maybe Alexey Kalchenyuk. And that man is Anthony Stewart, and who's like, I guess he's crashing the party. He's there, Stewie. What? what, what what's the de- what's the defense? <laughs> We got He's Stewie? He said he was on 2A. He was like, I'm on 2A. I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> but yeah, okay, I wanted to know. I guess Lance doesn't know. Stewie, if you are actually trying to join the show without talking to the producers and trying to talk to me, that was the yeah. wrong move. Yeah, Lance just said thing. he hasn't told me anything. He's cut. So <laughs> you don't get to defend because you did the, You went through the improper channels for your submission of Pierre Vall Island. Um, yeah, I, I'm surprised anyone's still on it. Either way. Um, I think it's pretty interesting that the Leafs only have those nine guys, or sorry, ten guys who are locked into spots moving into the playoffs.
2: In Forward terms of spots. just the – so the flexibility is uh, is going to be interesting. I, I know when I put out, like, the best-case scenario lines for the Leafs going into playoffs, the
1: bottom line has, like, six players on it. <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. I don't know. It, kind of but These eight I mean. games are still like a tryout. That's what I'm saying. Tavares, Nylander, Hyman. Matthews, Felino, Marner, Mikhaev, Spezza, Thornton, Simmons—ten guys. You got ten guys that are locks. Who are those other two are going to be? It's basically a mismatch of Galchenyuk, Brooks, um, uh, Kerfoot. Who Kerfoot, I, I believe, is closer to a lock. Yeah, like I would it. say that he's he's, be, he's he's basically in, but I could also see the scenario where he ends up coming out. But yeah, that last spot is like. Yeah, is it Galchenyuk? Is it Brooks? Is it? It just I think that there's a Riley variety Nash. of different ways that they could go. Well, Riley Nash, if he's healthy and gives them mm-hmm. basically anything, I think almost becomes a lock.
2: Yeah, that, that's going to be a fascinating test too. Is it'll be like Freddie Anderson has played no hockey in whatever. It's going to be seven weeks, and they're going to be like, here's game one, and then Riley Nash is going to get thrown in the same situation. It's a uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like the Leafs are very fortunate that the Canadian teams, they should be able to handle them with just okay goaltending. And, you know, hopefully give some time for Freddie to get his feet under him and Riley Nash I feel the same way. Hopefully he can get some play in limited minutes, get his feet under him and feel good to help them down the road in playoffs.
0: Mm -hmm. And you hope, I mean, again, knock on wood, and things can go absolutely pear-shaped. And I feel like, I have to add that caveat, because if it happens, I'll feel like uh, I jinxed this team in some way. But it's it's obviously true. They're the best team, but they could still lose. That could happen. But if things go the way you could predict them going, with the amount of skill that the Leafs have compared to the other teams in the North Division, that not that you're experimenting in these first couple of rounds, but that you're able to try different things. You're not as... As desperate to absolutely maximize and go to the the one thing that you know works, and maybe there is like a little bit of experimenting. Like maybe you do like Bogosian's working his way back, and he gets a game, and then he's back out of the lineup, or that fourth line is a is a, is a moving target for you.
2: Yeah, no, but that's this is a strength of, of Sheldon Keith is is finding out what he has, and um, you know I, I've seen some cases that down the stretch here, maybe Nylander plays some center, or
1: maybe. No, no, um,
2: no, done with that. You guys guys don't want to be time for that one, eh?
1: I actually Um, wouldn't wouldn't mind seeing that in these meaningless games because it's like, hey, you can actually get real hockey games against the Habs where you play center and his... Nylander is good. If you put him with Tavares, if you put him with, like, up the lineup, he can do it. Like, it's not going to negatively impact him. So if you gave him four games at center and said, let's just see in case we need to do this, I got no problem with it. Even if I don't believe that it's the long-term future of the player. (laughs) You There's nothing that's they... off the table in these games.
0: No, that's true. But, yeah, what you can't do is what they did in the Columbus series where it was like load up the top line with Tavares and then knee on his own on an island on that second line as the center.
1: But he yeah. never would be the...
0: anymore.
2: He'll, he'll never he'll never be a center for this hockey club long term because he's not engaged consistently enough, right? No. Like the, As a centerman, you're constantly 200 feet in your own zone. It's just never going to happen for him. But if you need him in spot duty, you'd like him to have some practice there. So, yes, I'd be okay with some more reps in these games for sure. All right, born. Great, great, great stuff. Well done.
1: That was really great <laughs> right. Today, minus hey, thanks, our co- complete meltdown and yeah. uh, trying to figure out on the fly. I thought it was really, really good before that. Then I got a little hairbrain. and we'll do that <laughs> next week. We got, we've got a couple of topics that I really wanted to get to, but of course, we ended up going longer with some things than I anticipated. But this was great. Again, subscribe to the podcast and uh, share it and follow if you're a fan. See you, born. Thanks, guys.
0: Greyhounds are like the Leafs' sister team, their junior team, right? So many former Greyhounds players on this team, obviously the Kyle Dubas connection. Just feels like if you don't have a rooting interest in junior hockey, you're a Leaf fan, you you like the Greyhounds. Got great uniforms.
1: Well, I was going to say maybe the nicest uniforms in all of sports.
0: I am not going to fight you on it. I'm really not. Uh, and uh, you really enjoy Rasmus Sandin, at least uh, the brief work that he's put in so far for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Looked great over the weekend against the Winnipeg Jets. Let's talk to the man who drafted him into the OHL, Kyle Raft is GM of the Greyhounds. Uh, kind enough to join us online right now. Kyle, thanks for doing this. Appreciate
3: it. No, thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, excited just to just talk about hockey these days, so I really appreciate coming on.
1: Yeah. Do you um, feel a lot of pressure these days? And, you know, you're the young Kyle GM, like you're younger than Dubas. And yet people talk about him like he's the young Kyle GM of the Greyhounds. It's like, really, it's you.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I'm the other Kyle from the Sioux, I guess, these days. But no, it's... uh, Young Kyle, younger
1: Kyle is the way
3: you should brand yourself. Younger Kyle from the Sioux. I'll take it. I'll take it. But yeah, there's definitely uh, a lot of different connections within both players, coaches, management throughout the, the Leafs. So yeah, it's been fun to watch.
1: Well, yeah. let's just actually start with that. Like, uh, again, sorry about um, your season, and we do want to talk about how you guys are dealing with it, but let's just start with that, which is, yeah, kind of your you were the successor to Kyle Dubas, and what your relationship is like with him and, and what it is like trying to convey information between the two and, and how he still remains connected to your organization and to you yourself.
3: Yeah, well, I think – You know, I didn't work with Kyle at any point when I kind of went into the Sioux. It was in an interesting kind of transition period because, you know, Sheldon, the entire coaching staff was still in place and we kind of had a a team that was ready to take another step. And it was kind of a, a situation where Kyle, you know, was a friend of mine. We had talked a lot, met as I got a job at the league. And we, you know, always kind of, played back and forth. We were kind of similar ages. I was a little bit younger as you referenced. And it was kind of something that you you pick each other's brain. And I think he gave me a good opportunity to kind of come into in terms of, you know, he he wanted to step away and allow me to kind of solidify my own kind of style, what I like to do, you know, what I kinda saw the Greyhounds taking steps forward. But at the same time, he was always there as a resource and someone to kinda check in with. And I I think I, I still talk to those guys sometimes you know, obviously, depending on the time of year or different things, whether it's leading into a draft or something like that, I pick their brains a little bit on some things. But you know, obviously, in Toronto, they get a lot of opinions from a lot of different areas. So I try and let them, uh, you know, ask if they need anything, and and there to support. But it's great to see them doing well.
1: A lot of unsolicited ones from us a lot a lot a lot of unsolicited opinions from us in the media so uh, a lot's been made recently with Dubas about how different he is now versus even when he was the GM of the Leafs a couple of years ago do you see that like do you see a pretty stark difference in terms of the guy who was with the Greyhounds versus the guy we see today as the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs in 2021
3: Uh, yeah I think it's you know, when you're starting out and, you know, he's worked with, you know, whether it's Lou Lamorello, I know he had a ton of respect for him and, and learning kind of those different ways as they kind of transitioned from a team that was going through the quote unquote rebuild to getting to, you know, where they are now in that constant contender mode. And I think you see him more comfortable in his setting. I think obviously you've seen the, the roster the staffs change over a little bit. And I'm sure, you know, going from that over the last little bit, you start to see him put his signature on the roster and the staff. And I think it really, you know, see him more comfortable in his skin. And I think it's something that it's it's a challenging environment in Toronto, as you guys referenced, but at the same time, I think you see a lot more comfort in what he's doing. And, and when he has those people beside him that he's comfortable with, I think you kind of see that more of his personality come out of it. And I think that's kind of been the biggest change I've seen.
0: Talking to Kyle Raftis, GM of the Sioux Greyhounds. So you were there at the beginning. Uh, Rasmus Sandin brought into your organization as a 17 year old in 2017. Uh, Played the one year in the Sioux, played the next year with the Marlies. But he's really opening some eyes right now. And it's not the first time he's stepped his toes into the NHL waters. We've seen it at times before. But really, like, for a team this good to look the way he did in that game on Saturday against the Jets, it was impressive. Tell us about what it was like and what you saw in him when you brought him over from Sweden and you brought him into your organization.
3: Yeah, we kind of – you know, looking at where we took him out really late in the import draft and for people that don't follow it, it's kind of a little bit of, you know, there's a mix of kind of that baseball signability draft to the hockey where you're drafting position. You have two selections and I think with our team that year, we ended up going to the finals, but we had a really strong returning group of players. So we decided when we were kind of going through the import draft that, you know, Rasmus at that time was with Rogel. He was, you know, penciled into play at the SHL, which is their top elite league. He was obviously the captain of the under-17 team that year, which actually played in the Sioux that year. So we had really good kind of, you know, firsthand experience watching him play, getting to kind of see him on the outside of it. And I think we just decided to kind of swing for the fence a little bit and see if we could kind of get him over. Luckily for us, he kind of started the year a little bit slow wasn't kind of getting the minutes he thought he deserved and he's he's one of those people and I think a lot of elite athletes are like that that he wants to be challenged at top levels as fast as he can and I think when he kind of made the decision that he wanted to come over and I don't know if it was a mix of kind of the limited time he was getting there with kind of where he was projected kind of scouting wise that kind of maybe rubbed him the wrong way but it, at the end of the day it kind of really helped us because he kind of decided to make the jump came over to play with us had a great year and you know, every list that came out, not to say that players, you know, they're supposed to not pay attention to those things. But, you know, you could tell he's a very confident person, you know, very motivated. He wanted to put his best foot forward and he was lucky enough to be selected by the Leafs after a great year with us. So it kind of worked out and, you know, we, we call those kind of win, win, win because it worked out for the player. You know, it was a great feather in our cap as well for us as an organization. And kind of, uh, you know, projected him for the next, hopefully the next foreseeable future here for his career.
1: So it's kind of funny, though, when you mentioned the the part about not getting the ice time, not getting the opportunity, mm-hmm. because when he started his Leafs career and he was sent down, we got an opportunity to speak with him. And we were blown away by his maturity and the way yep. that he took that news. And just it it didn't seem like PR. The The guy really did sound like he speaks from the hip. And I know that part of it is that it's media training. But even still, like you could tell that he was somebody who got it. And when you watch him on the ice, he's one of those dudes that doesn't really display a lot of outward emotion. And I think that we can confuse that at times when we evaluate and we watch players, especially, like, less educated eyes. And, you know, kind of take him as, like, a calm guy who's a poised guy, a mature guy. And then you see these quotes, like, when he wasn't playing about wanting to play. And you see just what he's been able to accomplish so far at his age. And... Are we sort of overlooking the the fiery side of Rasmus Sandin? And, yeah, that how much that it it does seem to burn with this guy, how desperately he does want to play, and that, yeah, he really does have a a kind of a nasty, competitive, um, high give-a-crap
3: meter. I agree with that completely. I I think, and not the stereotype, but it's kind of that a little bit of that Swedish, you know, you don't see a lot of Swedish players come over that are just, run around over the top but they don't shy away from the physicality they're they're competitors they want they compete hard they play a great style of hockey and I think it's something that sometimes when you see that composure and especially in a young player in a defenseman especially you know everyone wants to see what they can do and if it's not that skating a million miles an hour or kind of blowing up a guy coming through the middle of the ice it's kind of you're kind of waiting on seeing what that player brings and I think when you watch and it's just the you know, against, the, let's face it, on the, the weekend, he's playing against a big, heavy, skilled group in Winnipeg that put a lot of pressure on him, especially when a guy, you know, credit to him too, and not to keep building it up, but he, he can't, he's coming off an injury. He's just getting his, I'm sure he's getting his game legs back underneath him, and he's getting a great test against Winnipeg in a highly emotional, physical game. And I think you just see that confidence and poise that just kind of rises to the top in a game like that. And he's not someone that's going to back down. He's not a, not saying he's going to run around fighting guys on any side of things like that. But at the same time, you can compete in different ways. And, and I think that's something that kind of is missing when people discuss kind of Rasmus' skill set.
0: Well, and I feel like some of the things that you're mentioning, especially the physicality, has changed. Maybe even since we last saw him in the National Hockey League for an extended period of time. And it was just one reverse hit on Saturday, but it was something we're not used to to seeing. Where can he get with? The that was body? Blake
1: Wheeler, and he uh, buckled him.
0: Yeah, he's five eleven. I get it. He, <laughs> yeah. He's he's not going to be Chara out there, but where can he yeah. get?
3: Well, I think it's I I think when you you're seeing that more comfort level, and I think it, as he kind of continues to get those reps and gets comfortable and is defending on that side of it, he's physical. Like he he doesn't shy away from it. He's, you know, very good at. I know he his size, but leveraging his body, and I think that's a lot, a big part of the game, especially on the defensive side of it these days. And I think when you see him, kind of transitioning pucks out of the zone, that's always going to be his bread and butter. But at the same time, I, I think he's as he gets more comfortable in the league, and I, as he kind of gets comfortable with the speed and just coming back, I, I think, I don't think he's someone that is going to be shying away from it on any night.
0: Well, what are we like? What's the all-time? top end ceiling for this guy. Are we talking about a guy who is getting the most minutes on a on a very good maybe a leaf team here in the not too distant future?
1: Maybe.
3: Well I think you know when you watch Rasmus game and I think a lot of times people talk about, you know, how are those highly skilled junior players or players coming from the American League going to translate. And I think when you see that that adaptation of his skill set, what he can do, whether it's on the transition. I think you look at Tavares' goal, the way he can kind of add those those layers on transition because sometimes you look at Rasmus, he's got guys barreling down on him or he's kind of going laterally with a puck and then all of a sudden he's waiting for those gaps to kind of open up and, you know, it makes a great play. Every pass, that he makes every time he makes a decision with the puck on or off his stick, there's a methodology behind it. And it's sometimes you, you're kind of waiting to see it and you're hoping he makes that play. And all of a sudden he makes that play that you didn't see coming. And I think when you have a player with a, you know, a mind of the game like that combined with kind of his physical attributes that are continually getting stronger and adding to his game, I think it's, there's a lot of layers there. And I think when you see a player that can kind of make decisions, whether it's on the power play or five on five and make your team that much more dangerous, I think that's a crucial part. So I, I think the sky's the limit for Erasmus just because of that competitiveness combined with those other traits and i think that's something you're always looking for
1: yeah do you think that that's his defining trait the competitiveness the cerebral side
3: i think it's the competitiveness but i think it's also just that ability to control the game i think it's tough when you're a young player you come in and you know you get a puck on your stick you just want to make that first play you see but Rasmus kind of has that ability to kind of survey the ice find the best side of it i think the leafs do a great job of obviously supporting You know the defenseman in their zone whether it's you know a a small slip in the middle of the ice and then get going the other way and not playing too much time in their own zone I think that's been a a crucial part for them having success this year and I think Raston's you know skill set fits that perfectly.
1: Yeah so last one on him from me anyways how wild is it to you that he has played this little of hockey and he's able to do what he is currently doing which is step on to a team with Stanley cup aspirations and really not have a lot of stumbling or looking out of place.
3: Yeah, I think it's really impressive because I think as a young player, especially when you're kind of, you know, you're filling in for a couple injuries, I think it would be very easy to go in and just say, I'm not going to make any mistakes tonight. I'm just going to get in, get off the ice, hopefully have a clean game. And then everybody can kind of no news is good news. And I can kind of, you know, go about my way that go about my game that way. But I think, you know, there's always these narratives around every team that can't have too many D for playoff run. And I think, I think it's something that it's a great statement for Rasmus to make on the weekend of just continuing to build on his game and having that impact. And not just the regular 21 year old that's, you know, put in these situations to get those reps. He's someone that's, you know, having an impact every time he's on the ice in the positive way. And I think that's something that's, you know, really impressive to watch.
0: Uh Kyle, thanks for doing this. I uh, yeah, apologies about the the season, the o h l season. there were so many fits and starts. We thought that there would be some semblance of a season. It never ended up happening. I mean, what has your day to day been like throughout uh, these months?
3: yeah it's been tough i think like everything um no, no different than every other industry it's something that you know every week there was different news coming and there was different you know potential things being planned out and obviously we didn't get it across the finish line which is kind of the toughest part and it it's been tough on the side of it more so dealing with the the kids and the players that have kind of work so hard for it because i think you know a lot of guys have some good chances the younger players in our league it's you know, they're going to get another shot at it. But I think sometimes those older players and, you know, seeing them go through a year that they've been building towards their whole career, it's that that side of things have been tough, but, you know, there's uh, the whole world kind of going through similar stuff. So it's something that kind of puts hockey in the right mindset and, you know, hopefully we can get on the ice as soon as possible with our guys and, you know, have them back to doing what they love and that's competing and being part of a team. And, you know, that's trying to put the good side of it on the, you know, in the mindset, I guess, for a lot of our guys
0: it's uh my first taste of uh global pandemic gotta say not a fan <laughs> yeah. uh would not recommend uh,
3: yeah <laughs>
0: yeah kyle appreciate the time young thanks kyle. for doing this yeah young no kyle, thanks youngest. for having me
3: guys
0: yeah, yeah i appreciate you, kyle. it see you man. See, see kyle Rathis, uh gm of the Sioux greyhounds hired uh with the hounds when he was 28 years old which uh what were you doing you're doing like some college run at 28 what were you doing hmm. Something bad, something you shouldn't have been doing. I bet.
1: Probably. A bad Probably. Boy. I've had to learn a lot of hard lessons, bud. <laughs> uh, all right, odds and ends. You pick odds and ends because
0: I always do this. And you're like, oh, well, you want to get the that one? And I want that one. I can't believe you chose that
1: one. Well, no, I just. Well, I, I would say quickly just off of that interview is I just have more thoughts on Sandine, mm-hmm. and. he He's just exceeded my expectations at basically every turn, right? Like, he became the first-round pick when he wasn't supposed to necessarily be a first-round pick to the draft next, right? And it was, hey, this is a guy who maybe got a little overrated because of the connection to Sault Ste. Marie. Then he comes to the Leafs organization, and he starts to tick off boxes, and everyone gets a little ahead of them. Dude, his contract is a year ahead of where it should be, because of not only injuries, but because of the way that he played. Look at what he did at the World Juniors. But this whole thing right now is, it's one of those you get excited for prospects, and you get excited for them in this market. And even while I believe that Nick Robertson is going to be a stud, you know, we get ahead of ourselves sometimes with guys. And with Sandine, I'm trying not to do that right now, but it's hard because when you get to see him, what are you not satisfied with at this point? And what are you not satisfied with, especially given the circumstances? It's hard not to dream on him getting a full season of run. Like, if he had played the full year of the AHL level, do you have any doubts that we would have had, like, multiple Leafs hours where we would have said, how do you fit him in and what are we doing with... He wasn't even playing and there were conversations about him, how to fit him in. And when they traded Letnin, the part of it where we discussed it briefly was, well, now Sandine's path to the roster is more clear, but it was also like, well, but he's 21 and you don't really want to rush him. And our- is he a guy that you want to lean on in a must-win year? And now you look at it and go, yeah, they know what they have here. Even when he's not playing... You know what you have here. One game at the AHL level this year. One. Practices with the Leafs. That's it. That's all he got. And he's stepping in here and part of it's fresh legs and maybe caring and auditioning. And again, it's not easy to evaluate these things, especially in small samples at this juncture of the season. But boy, he's sure just given you a lot to be excited about. And when we're looking at guys that are going to be most important to the franchise over the next five, six, seven years, it's hard not to think about him.
0: Yeah, and I hope When Kyle Dubas, I mean, it didn't end up happening. didn't end up trading any of the top prospects. But when he mentioned the top prospects, he's like, but really not Rasmus Sandy. Like anybody but him. Like that guy's obviously not moving. He's going to be a cornerstone uh, 1A defenseman on our blue line for the next decade. So you can't touch him. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.